Hello, and thank you for rejoining us for Draycott Diaries. Well, this morning, I'm just about to greet Tim Hazeldon. He's parking his car at the moment. And just to give you a little bit of ups on Tim before I start probing questions, Tim works for the AONB and he is the development manager for the Mendip Hills. So he's got a big job on his hands. And there's so many questions I want to ask him about this beautiful environment we live in. Those who want to check out the Mendip Hills who don't live here, then check it out on an atlas. Um, just find the Mendip Hills Cheddar Gorge. That'll give you a very good orientation about what we're going to be talking about this morning. All things flora, fauna and protection. So put the kettle on, grab yourself a biscuit and uh, well, let's see what he has to say. Tim, welcome. First of all, I'd love you, if you would, just to... Well, if I may, I'm going to read something and ask you mm. if this is what you believe the AONB stands for. AONB, the voice of the protected landscape, naturally beautiful, nationally protected. Is that what the AONB is all about? That's the tagline we, we use really to, to try and explain to people in a nutshell what we do. So I'm part of the AONB unit, the very small team that tries to look after the hills and, and coordinate them. Um, so the, the, the naturally beautiful bit, um, it comes out in our, our name, the area of outstanding natural beauty, and nationally protected is because we are um, a designated landscape, so protected by law, along with 45 other AOMBs across the UK. Yes, that's right, because if, if figures-wise, am I right, the AONB has been going for 50 years, and you are based at Charterhouse, which we all know very well, for those of us who are lucky enough to live here, mm. And that's been processed for over 20 years. And you've been in the job for about five years. Well, yeah. Well, here in the Mendips, I've been in the job for two and a half, coming up to three, three years now. Um, and, and sort of working in the conservation sector for uh, probably about 10, 15 maybe now. Yeah, the Mendip Hills got designated as an A and B, as you say, just commenced 50 years ago. So it'll be our 50th anniversary next year. But all national parks and areas of outstanding attribute, which were designated by law back in 1949, so that's 70 years old now. So the, the legislation that got passed in law to protect these landscapes was 1949, but the Mendips got formed into an A&B in, in 1972. Oh, let's talk, first of all, about the area you cover. OK. Because yeah, that's yeah. quite important. Then we can delve into how you're yeah. funded and how it works. I'll try and do a bit of research to check before I, I chatted to you today. So the 46 A&Bs across the country cover 18% of the UK countryside so quite a, a large area and that's not including the national parks as well um, so we, we have the same legislation as them but the Mendipos is a relatively small AOMB so we're 198 kilometres square which is 19,800 hectares and imagine a hectare is about a football pitch in size yes so it's about the size of yeah just under 20,000 football pitches um, so now that, that I understand uh, yeah, although it's quite hard to grasp that <laughs> amount but yeah that that kind of spans from the edge of Western Supermare, so Bleeden, the hills start there. And then if you follow kind of the northern route along, then it kind of goes on the edge of Samford across Banwell through to um, Chew Valley Lake and including Chew Valley Lake. Then the, the A and B boundary then sort of takes a, a, a southerly direction. And if you sort of go straight downwards, it goes covers down to Wells and then across again. So includes the, the south-facing grasslands here where we are. So 
Wookie, um, Westbury's of Mendip over Drake Up, this way through to Cheddar included as well and around. So it's sort of like a triangle really, covering. The good thing about the Mendip Hills is that you you know when you're in the Mendip. Some may be you maybe don't quite know when you've gone into the boundary or not, but it's such a distinctive change from the levels up to the Mendip Hills here and onto the plateau that all that area there on those hills is, is designated as the, the A and B. Yeah, because I, I think it's worth just making a point to some of our listeners who don't know this area. It's very distinctive, our geography here, isn't it? Because we literally, we have the Mendip Hills, which I don't know how high they rise in meterage. And then we have this amazing fall off and we go straight off to the levels, mm. which is why this is known as the strawberry capital of the mm. world, because it's always been really, really good for, yeah. for irrigation and stuff and like that. And the strawberry line is connected to where I live now, really comes from the direction that, that is now a great, yeah. a great place to cycle and, and yeah. walk. Yeah. That's right, because no, so that used to be a steam railway, didn't it? Yeah, yeah. And it used to run right from Western Supermarket, almost mm. from that right away through to to Wells, and mm. then it would go up. So it's nice it? now that, it's a shame it's not here as a, as a steam railway, but it's nice that we can use it for recreation now as well, which is half the half the importance of the area is to, to help promote the countryside for people's health and well-being too. Sure, and and it's flat, which I like. Yeah, I love the Mendips. Yeah, yeah, it, <laughs> it always goes up. Yeah. I have to say, when I've got when I've got a good day, I go up. When I when I'm yeah. feeling less energetic, I just go along. Yeah, yeah, I don't blame it. But yeah, the, the engineering there for the tunnels through the limestone rock is amazing. But yeah, so you know when you're on the Mendips because of you know you're on the limestone uh, ridges and going through the Coombs and the, you know Cheddar Gorge, and then up the highest point is Blacktown, which I think is 325 meters. Um, so okay. it's, it's a big big steep incline you know it's such a sudden amazing stark change in the landscape but that's that's the highest point that's sandstone at the top oh. and you've got the limestone around it and the, oh. so the limestone sort of erodes with with rainwater because it's uh, it's alkaline and then the acid rain is as it says is acid so you you've got over time you've had all these amazing kind of uh, caves and karst systems be um, be eroded into the landscape and you're left with this the, the landscape we have today with the Coombs and the gorges. Yeah. So it's extraordinary because there's as much beauty on the top mm. in the way of the you know the levels which we'll talk about later, you know, which are a lot mm. of peace and, and then we've got the as you said the Mendips and then underneath we have this extraordinary cave system. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, they say the first man ever or first you know, we're not being gender specific, but it was a man, yeah. was found in, in the Cheddar Caves. Yeah, Cheddar Man, yeah, yeah, yeah. And we have um, evidence of human human remains going back 500,000 years so it's not humans as in um, our homo sapiens but the human remains I think found not far from here at all around around by Westbury quarry over that way yeah so real amazing history and culture dating back so I suggest anybody who's listening to this especially our American audience need to come over here (laughs) and uh, come visit us because it's lots to explore and also it's where cheddar cheese was coming from well that's important isn't it they're so important cheddar cheese I live on cheddar cheese Tim, we need to move on. I want to find out a little bit about the AOMB and about the team that you run. Could you tell us a little bit about the structure mm. and the funding and basically, you know, how the whole thing works? And also, uh, uh, just give us a little bit of a definition of your team because I know it's not huge and yeah, I know you're yeah. very reliant on volunteers as well. Yeah. So I'd love to hear a little you, bit more about on, that. Yeah. So I better not claim I run it because otherwise my manager will probably have my guts for garters. But yeah, he, then we've got a manager called Jim Harcastle. He's... He's in charge of the A&B and he was doing my job uh, quite a few years ago when the A&B wardens were here as well and he's come back now as the manager which is great and I'm now the development officer so there's myself and him as full-time members of staff and also we have a, a range of volunteer coordinator who's full-time too so there's the three of us full-time then we have two part-time members of staff one planning uh, landscape planning officer 
and an admin support and comms officer as well, part-time. So they're our kind of core team. Not many of us really, not a huge amount of funding to cover such a, a large area. Um, and, and then what we've needed to do is, is find and secure more external funding for projects. So I have a little project team. We've got a, someone who's look, looking after visitor data. So we're trying to capture what's going on in the hills to make sure things are sustainable in terms of recreation. And then another member of staff who's coordinating one of our lottery projects at the moment linked to nature recovery. So there's, um, there's a number of us in the team. I think the, the main thing, though, really is that we're, we're facilitators, really. We coordinate a, a partnership. So actually, the, the, the reason we can get a lot of work done is because we work in partnership with lots of different organisations and because of our amazing volunteers as well. So really, if, you know, we can't do a lot on our own, but with, with that partnership and volunteers, we can do more. And I think we, we were saying, yeah, we're, we're, a, so we're an A&B unit. We're funded by DEFRA, so 70% from Department of Farming, Environment and Rural Affairs. And then the remaining 30% comes from the local authorities, and there's five in the area. Somerset County Council, who are hosted by, and then the District Councils and North Somerset Council too. So we get our funding from there, but we are really in post just to work with all these different organisations like the Wildlife Trust and the National Trust who are NGOs, they're, uh, you know, they're charities, non-government organisations and, and they've struggled particularly during the pandemic too so I feel like part of our role in the last year has been to try and support them with uh, you know, working on funding bids together, pooling our resources a little bit. We're starting to develop some really exciting projects all together and you can do a lot more in partnership. Gosh, that's a big job. My, my job's just really varied. But, uh, as part of the AONB, you were active weren't you during covid i mean not just policing car parts and going you can't go in there but you also even up to the point of being involved in some of the vaccination logistics is that right yeah because well, we're we're um hosted through the local authority we, we don't report to them because we're uh, we, we remain partial as a partnership but that means that we we were potentially could be redeployed at any time we haven't been furloughed and um, my colleagues over at the quantock hills they were they were redeployed on the vaccination effort I think because we're less of a hub up here for the Somerset County Council, then we weren't we didn't need to do that. But in the end, we were really really busy having to just to manage visitor pressure. Mm-hmm. So trying to support the local communities, because especially at the start of the first lockdown, quite a scary thing for um, you know droves of visitors coming in. So we work with the police a little bit, but you know we we again we're trying to be more of a carrot rather than a stick, just trying to encourage people to not drive up and stay local at the start and then as things opened up we were then trying to encourage and embrace new visitors but to give them guidance on how to behave in the countryside because a lot of people were new and you know we had people walking out into the countryside in flip-flops that it just wasn't suitable and kind of turning up and wanting to know where the waterfalls were and and just think so just trying to manage expectations because the AMB isn't a completely we can't draw a put a fence around it. It is a working landscape. Farmers are, are working here and, and they've seen an increase in disturbance to their livestock over the last year as well as us seeing a disturbance to, to wildlife, for example, on reserves. So we're trying to work together to educate and, and direct people to less sensitive locations, I guess. But in, in, in time, certain times of the summer, it's just been very, very difficult. In some ways, it's been great because people have got to explore the countryside and discover the Mendip Hills. But we haven't 
been actively promoting it because it's been so busy and we've just been trying to manage this depression and trying to not have too much disturbance to habitat and species. Well, it was a larger footfall, wasn't it, that we normally have here. I mean, I was going out every day. It was unusual to ever see anybody on the walk I do. I mean, I was seeing loads of people. So, But I was heartened also to hear you say that the majority, the larger majority, did respect the countryside and did respect the boundaries that, that we have to have here because we're, we're in a farming community. Yeah, I think I think largely people did, which is good. I mean, you hear about the negatives. and it, That's what makes the news, yeah, doesn't yeah. it? So anything we do has to link back to the special qualities of the, the AOMB, the Mendy Pills, and there's 12 special qualities. If it's not linked to that, then, then we as an AMB unit shouldn't be necessarily doing it. And one is about a landscape enjoyed by people. Another one is the dry stone walls and the views. Any landscape might have one or two of these qualities, but Mendip is special because it has these 12 together. And that's also about the, the, the heritage and the, the culture of the area too, the geology, biodiversity. What, what we would want projects being delivered and what people to do would be to do work to help conserve and protect those special qualities. We have volunteers that go out and they, they protect uh, nature reserves on the land and, and the, you know, the sites of special scientific interest. They help restore heathland and grassland and can go and do practical work. We'll hopefully be opening up volunteer opportunities soon for people to get involved in. So that's a real practical way people can help in, in the week or come and learn dry stone walling. Uh, well, there's 400, 400 kilometres worth of dry stone walls up on the Mendip Hills. And not only are they a special quality and that real cultural heritage that we want to keep, they're also vital wildlife corridors. So adders use them, also bats, greater horseshoe bats, which are protected and quite endangered as are, as are adders, use those to navigate as well. So we want to be restoring hedgerows and woodlands where it's suitable, but then in other areas where perhaps it's not suitable to put trees. It's all about right tree, right place. You know, we don't want to be encouraging tree planting on um, a really important heath. Yeah, can I just stop there and ask yeah. that question? Because... Yeah. Prince Charles is for Jubilee, plant a tree for Jubilee. Does yeah. that cause you concerns or does that yeah. cause you joy? There's a drive to, to plant trees linked to the climate change, the climate emergency. That seems to be the sole focus at the moment. And not every landscape, and Mendip is one of those, can absorb, can have a lot of trees planting, planted because we've got incredibly rare and important limestone grassland near, near where you are here in the heathland they're not suitable for planting trees because we would lose that important vital habitat that's very rare and the species that go with it and and also the trees wouldn't cope very well on the plateau and it's too windswept and it would lose and degrade the character of the area which is so important so there are locations to plant trees we're putting a nature recovery plan together at the moment so all local authorities will need to have a, a local nature recovery strategy in place soon and we're creating a nature recovery plan that will feed into that for the AMB and all AMBs are doing that because you've got to look at it, if you zoom out, you've got to look at it on a big landscape scale of what's important. So tree planting is great, but there are other things you can do as well to restoring a grassland or protecting a peatland and not digging it up for compost is also really important because as soon as you do that, you're destroying important habitat and you're releasing loads of peat and um, loads of carbon into the atmosphere as well. So there are lots of ways we can address the climate emergency and the ecological emergency, and the two things are linked, really. I think, going back to what you were saying before, you can certainly help vol- volunteer, and is a great way. And if, if we as an A&B unit don't have opportunities at the moment, the Wildlife Trust might do, the National Trust might do, so it's worth inquiring and looking into that. Even being a member, becoming a member of those, those charities is really important. That's how they get a lot of their funding. And then I think even down to... What you can do, it depends how much land you own, you know, if you've got, if you own a big chunk of land and you think 
actually I might be interested in rewilding a little bit of that or changing my farm farming practices potentially, then we may have a little bit of funding to help with that. You know, get in touch with us on that. Just a, just widening your hedgerows a little bit or creating a buffer strip along your field margins would be you know is great for pollinators and, and for as I said before bats or adders to, to migrate and move around the landscape. But if you only own a small pocket of, of land, um, you, you could plant a tree in your garden. That's that's still great. Creating water. Water is a really rare resource on the top of Mendip. Um, you've got the spring lines on either side, but on the top, on the plateau, it's incredibly rare, and that's why we're trying to restore dew ponds as well. So you could create a pond in your garden. That brings in all sorts of wildlife. And I think it's no mow may at the moment, but not cutting your lawn or leaving areas to grow more wild. Wildflowers, great for the birds and the bees you know, and that's that's really really important so everyone can do their own their own bit even if you don't own a lot of you know don't have a garden or don't own a lot of land just following the countryside code when you're out and about um, when you're visiting the, the mendips you know will be will make a huge difference for, for nature and, and nature recovery so let's talk about this. So there's lots of interesting courses coming up. As I mm. said, you're based up at Charterhouse. I think mm. those who live in the area will know where that is. It's up on top of the Mendips. And and glory of glory, people can start. I mean, I think one thing that's come out of, well, I sense out of this pandemic and the lethargy, people are aching now to to help and to do their bit. And I think the environment is very much top of everybody's list. So I know you're talking about dry, dry stone walling courses, maybe, I don't know if we mentioned hedging addition, but that might be another one. That's always something I've been interested in. Um, but all the different things that we've talked about today, how can people get involved? How should they contact you? How do they go about it? Because I know people will want to do that. I would suggest having a look at the website, which is Pills A-O-N-B, order yeah, .org.uk so mendipilsamb.org.uk and there's lots more information on there about what we do uh, the area and um, all the sites we, we look after plus there's an email address on there too but it's just basically mendip at mendipilsamb.org.uk people could send in an email to that and inquire and then that can go to the right person with our team so the volunteering opportunities we talked about at the moment we're not able to to recruit more volunteers but that should change as we were saying in the next couple of months and we should be able to allow more people to help us out but other other partner organizations might be doing that but too. anybody can apply to do a course you, once they're up you can, can you can apply to come out with us and volunteer and then there will be opportunities if you want to be one of our uh, a proper volunteer with us then you can you can have some training in dry stone walling so we'll be working with the dry stone walling association and somerset wildlife trust later on in the summer and autumn through to next year actually to do a number of, uh, of training courses because it's quite an art to repairing and restoring a dry stone wall properly so it lasts another hundred years so we need to be restoring a lot, so we need more help to do that, and we'll be training people if they're interested. Quite therapeutic, quite nice to do, a really nice bunch of volunteers that, that get involved in that. I mean, there's also a local tree nursery as well, down at Westbury Submendip that oh. we're supporting. So that's through the parish council, and we're delivering a project at the moment. So it's a £250,000 project with the other A&B, AOMBs in Somerset through the National Lottery and DEFRA money. So that's an example of a project that we're managing, bringing in additional money. And that's restoring, helping to restore habitat across the area at certain sites with the Wildlife Trusts and the Rivers Trust. But we're also managed to give a little bit of money to the tree nursery at Westbury. And they're developing a little local local nursery and hoping that local people can grow, grow trees from seed. So it's quite a challenge to, to do that, but they're really keen for more volunteers. 
and happy to train people in, in, in how to successfully propagate and, and grow these trees. And when they're big enough, they can be moved into tree nursery. They can be tended and looked after there for a, a year. And then we can plant locally grown, locally sourced trees out onto the Mendip Hills and in the right places as well, like we talked about earlier. So that's a great little project. I would suggest you get in touch with it through us and then we'll put you in touch with the amazing volunteers down at the at the, the parish council and the, the tree group in Westbury St Mendip. So that's a nice example of, of what you can do to get involved locally as well. I can't wait. I can't wait. I'm going to get out there. Everybody, we're going to have to wrap it up now, but I, mainly because there's two rocks on the table and Tim, is, <laughs> Tim and I are about to conduct an experiment, which I may have to tell you how that went. But for yes, now, yes. Tim Hazelburn, Development Officer for Mendip Hills. Can I thank you so much for taking the time to come and talk to us today. How fascinating to really find out about the AONB and also to find out how people can get involved. Thank you very much indeed. Uh, well, thanks for having me. It's been it's been nice to give you a bit of an introduction to it and I enjoy listening to your podcast. So, uh, yes, I probably won't enjoy listening to myself on this one, but it's been great to be part of it. So, thank you. Thank you. Tim, thank you so much how incredibly interesting to finally put in place, well, certainly for me, exactly what the AONB stand for and indeed the huge area they cover. We couldn't be more grateful to you, Tim, for giving us your time. I would also like to thank Jeff Farney, who edited this programme, and of course to my brother, Hugh Trithowen, who arranged the music. And for those of you still on the edge of your seats, dying to know what the two rocks were all about, When we finished the interview, Tim and I went outside and Tim carefully chipped off a little bit of rock from both of the specimens. And the idea was to show me the fossils that he could see, but clearly I couldn't. However, they did smell very strong of sulphur. And apparently that is a strong indication that there were animals in there, in the strata from prehistoric times. Now, clearly Tim is very responsible. So once we finished this, experiment he took them back to the mendips where he found them so that box is ticked don't forget to join us next july at the 14th for a shiny new episode until then thank you for listening and don't forget please 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 still stay safe <laughs>